Thank you very good morning, folks. Good morning, family. You all don't recognize folks, is it? Only Pastor Lee Kai can say folks. <laughs> okay. So anyway, today we move into part two of the sermon series, The Way of Salvation, uh, based on the original sermons of John Wesley. In part one, we heard about, heard about the great privilege of those who are born of God. That is, uh, the privilege is this, those who are born of God does not continue sinning. It is an ability given to us by God's grace. We actually have the possibility and the ability to be free from the power of sin by constantly remaining in God and God's seed remaining in us. <coughs> and uh, in the sermon, I briefly talk about sin as defined by Charles West, uh, John Wesley as an intentional, uh, actual rebellion against the known laws of God. So this is a very special case of how he defines sin. But it's actually possible that if we are aware of the Holy Spirit's prompting in us that it's possible to overcome sin in our lives. And that's a radically powerful message that we have as Christians to offer to the world. It is possible to break free from the chains of sin and to live a life of holiness. Today we take a small step back to review this concept of new birth. What it means to be born again is scriptural basis and why it is so important that we must be born again. And because uh, different religions have this different understanding of what new birth means, it's important as the church that we have a Christian understanding uh, to clarify our Christian understanding of the new birth. <clears throat> and for that understanding, we will look at John chapter 3. Today's sermon is based on that uh, encounter of Jesus with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Can I have the slides up? Uh, are they up? Just jump straight to the slides, John chapter 3. If it's not up, it's okay. You can also refer to your, to your Bibles. <coughs> now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so Nicodemus asked, How can someone be born again when they are old? Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is the Word of God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. We cannot control you because you are like the wind. You go wherever you please. But we invite you to come into our midst, both here in this hall and also in the sanctuary back home. The Lord, indeed, you will come and move in our midst. For we make this prayer through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So here in this passage, Nicodemus asks a very valid question. Or the young people say it's a legit question. How can someone be born again? How can an adult be born again? Surely we cannot enter our mother's womb a second time. Don't even try to imagine it. Okay, it's going to be scary. So how can it be? How can we really be born again? And Jesus' reply to him in verses 5 to 8 revealed three things about this new birth. What is this nature of the new birth? What is it like? And number one, Jesus says, to be born again is the work of the Holy Spirit. To be born again is the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, there is nothing physical about the new birth. 
It is not about physically entering the mother's womb again. It is a birth that is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus uses the analogy of the wind. The wind blows wherever it wishes. Meaning it is not by our power, it is not by our wisdom that we are saved. It is purely by the grace of God. You know, using this analogy of the wind, despite all our human advances and understanding of how tropical storms and typhoons are formed, you know, you go and do some reading, you realize hot air rises, cold air sinks, and then it forms this, uh, whatever, convection current, whatever you call it, current, air current, and then as it catches more moisture, it begins to form, and then from tropical storm, it develops into a typhoon. We can understand it, logically, how a typhoon is formed. But we really have no control over where the typhoon goes. Look at how we wrecked Japan earlier this week. We can understand logically how the typhoon is formed. But we have no control over where the wind blows. Why it's going there, where it goes. And so Jesus is saying, we really have no control, really. No control. No explanation as to why some people are saved and some people are not. Why is it that you are saved and maybe your family members are not yet saved? The wind blows wherever it wishes. So to be born again, really then, number one, is the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. The nature of the new birth is that we cannot control it. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. So none of us can claim credit. And so purely, it is by the grace of God. And for that, we must always be thankful. We shouldn't be proud that we are safe. We should be thankful because it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Secondly, Jesus says, uh, to be born again, or sorry, John Wesley, in explaining this sermon, he says, to be born again is obvious to self and to others. If you are truly born again, it will be evident to yourself and to others. While we cannot control where the wind blows, Jesus says we can certainly hear the sound. You can hear the sound of the wind. And if you are in a typhoon situation, surely you can feel the force, the strength of the wind. In that way, Wesley says, the effects of the new birth ought to be obvious to yourself and to everyone. In my last sermon, I spoke of how a baby uh, born into this world has all five senses fully awakened. In the same way, our spiritual senses are fully awakened only when we are born again. Right? So, uh, to quote John Wesley here, what is the nature of the new birth? He says in his sermon, It is that great change which God works in the soul when He brings it into life. What is the nature of the new birth? It is that great change which God works in the soul when He brings it into life, when He raises it from the death of sin to the life of righteousness, and He defines it a bit more, is how does this new birth look like? When the love of God is changed, in the love of the world is changed into love of God, pride into humility, passion into meekness, hatred, envy, malice, all these bad tempers into a sincere, tender love for all mankind. This is the description of those who have experienced the new birth. There is a vast inward change. As I preached in my last sermon, there is a vast inward change. You know it, and others around you should feel the effects of this change. So here, it is good to reflect, pause and reflect. Is it evident to you and to the people around you that you have truly become a Christian? Is it evident to you and to the people around you that truly you are born again as a Christian? And even for those of us who come from second generation, third generation Christian homes, you may not experience this so-called vast change in character, morality, for example, because your parents did their best to bring you up in God's ways. But you should have the evidence in your heart, the witness that yes, 
there is a living presence in my life. I can feel God's presence with me. I know that I am a Christian. There is a sense of assurance. And so if there is no great change in your life, perhaps we really need to examine for ourselves if we are truly born again as Christians. Remember, my first point, being born again is the work of an invisible God. Right? But, second point here is that we should expect an inward change if we are truly born of the Holy Spirit. The third point here, to be born again is absolutely necessary. To be born again is absolutely necessary. In the three sub-points under this point, in Jesus' own words, verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And again in verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So Jesus repeats himself twice, verse 3 and verse 5. If you are not born again, you can never enter the kingdom of God. So it's absolutely necessary for salvation. It's straightforward. Unless we are born again, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. So after the AM service, someone came and asked one of the pastors, so why is it so necessary to be saved? Because God is coming to judge the world. And when the second judgment day comes, and the judgment day comes, when Jesus comes again a second time, He will not just bring you know, salvation for those who are saved, but He will also bring wrath on those who have refused and rejected Jesus. It is a day of reckoning, a day of judgment, and it's a fearsome day. We need to be prepared for the day. Salvation is necessary and new birth is necessary for salvation. Now being born again is not about just saying the sinner's prayer. It's not, just going, it's not about going to church and then faithfully trying to eat the Holy Communion every time we serve. None of these of our religious deeds will ever save us. You get it? None of all these deeds will ever save us. It is only faith in Christ Jesus that saves Yes, we should go to church because we are responding to God. God saves us, so we are so thankful. We come to praise Him and worship Him. But don't put the cart before the horse. We don't go to church to save ourselves. That's what the rest of the religions teach us. You know, they don't, you mean to earn your own salvation, prove yourself in order to be saved. But here in Christianity, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not something we can control, but we go to church as a response to the God who saves us. Second point, sub-point here. For John Wesley, the new birth is not just necessary for salvation, it is also necessary for happiness. Yep, you heard it correctly. In case you think that Christianity is all dull and no fun, it's not true. John Wesley understood it, that salvation uh, was the first effect of new birth. Second effect is happiness. And John Wesley quotes a poet, uh, Nemo Melus Felix, which translated, No wicked man is happy. I found another version on the internet. Peace visits not the guilty mind. Right? The same point. The reason is very simple. All unholy, ungodly tempers, all bad tempers are bad tempers. All these unholy, godly, uh, unholy, ungodly tempers are bad tempers. How can malice, hatred, envy, jealousy, revenge ever make you happy? Is it possible that all these evil desires can ever make you happy? No. And indeed, John Wesley says, all sources of sin... Pride, self-will, idolatry are the sources of mis- misery. And so as long as we are not born again, as long as sin rules over our hearts, as long as we continue to harbour these evil desires, true happiness has no place in our hearts. So friends, don't belittle this point. It's important. If we want to be truly happy, 
your conscience clear, to feel your sins forgiven, to experience the joy of being a child of God, then you must be born again. You have to be born again to experience true joy in Jesus Christ. But the most important reason why we need to be born again, the new birth, is also necessary for true holiness. Without the new birth, we can never begin on this path of growing in holiness. For John Wesley, holiness is not a bare external religion, a round of our duties, meaning you just go about doing all the so-called Christian things. That's not what it means to be holy. No, gospel holiness, John Wesley says, is no less than the image of God stamped upon the heart. True holiness is not outward. Just as salvation is not outward, right? It's inward work of the Holy Spirit, but it's evident to everyone. So holiness is no less than the image of God stamped upon the heart. It is not measured by how many hours you pray and stuff like that. No, it's nothing external. It is the image of God stamped upon the heart. Now this phrase is a bit technical, and John Wesley takes pain in his sermon to explain. I'll try my best to explain. It's a bit technical, but you don't fully understand. Never mind. But the point is, new birth is necessary for true holiness. Let me try to explain it here. Now you see, when God created man, he created man in his own image. And John Wesley explained that man bore three aspects of the image of God when he was created. The first image is the natural image. So we are created, God is spirit, so we are a spiritual being. We are given understanding, freedom of will to decide, to choose. And we have all these various emotions, just like God has. Various emotions, we have those. Second, we have the political image. We are made a governor of this earthly world. We are made to rule over this world. Uh, having dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, animals of the earth. We're supposed to take care of the environment that we live in, this earth that God has given to us. We are stewards of it. But the most important image, John Wesley says, that God has given to us is His moral image. And that is full of love, free from sin, in true holiness and righteousness. That is the moral image that God has given to us. It's very character. Right? So, the natural image... It's like personality, emotions, the political image, the flesh, so-called, to govern in this world that God has created. But the most important part is the character of God, the moral image of God. But like any image that we understand, the nature of image is that the image will never be the same as the actual object it seeks to reflect or represent. Some of us have been to Madame Tussauds uh, Museum. Yes, I have the privilege of meeting Nelson Mandela. <coughs> of course, you know, he... They, they really look like, right? Those images really look like the actual person. But are they the same? Obviously not, right? So images by this very nature and definition will never be the same as the actual object or person. And so when we are created in the image of God, we are not God. We are supposed to become like God in His fullness, but we are not God. So humanity was created with this ability or potential to either grow and obey God and change and become better and become holier, or we choose to disobey God and decay and become worse. So unlike God, we are not made to be unchangeable, immutable. We have this potential to go either up or down. And so even though we are created in God's image, we are still expected to grow and become like God on the inside. Unfortunately, we know from the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve decided to disobey God, and Wesley says, because of their disobedience, the love of God was extinguished in their soul. Instead of the love of God that they feel so broadly in their hearts, after they ate of the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve came under the power of fear. Instead of loving God, they fled away from the presence of God, out of fear. 
Indeed, as he says, so little did Adam retain of the knowledge of God that he endeavoured to hide himself from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so Adam lost both the knowledge and the love of God without which the image of God could not exist. Because of this, he became unholy and unhappy, sinking into pride and self-will, the very image of the devil, giving into sensual appetites and desires the image of beasts that perish. So the point is, Previously, when God and Adam and Eve had full relationship and communion, they were unashamed, they stood before each other. But when he disobeyed God, this love of God was taken away because he disobeyed God and fear came in. So much so that Adam had to run away and hide behind the bushes. Now think about it. If you knew that God really loved you, would you want to hide from Him? No. The very fact that you're hiding from God means you have no more knowledge of the love of God which they previously had. And so that's the story of humanity. We lost this idea of the love of God. And so from Adam, the Bible says, all of us descended bearing this fallen nature, this sinful nature, our entire nature being corrupted. And because we are born in sin, therefore, we must be born again. Do you get it? It's a long story, but my point is, because of this human nature that we have inherited, a fallen human nature, we must be born again. Without this renewed nature, there is no way we can pursue holiness. Without this renewed nature, there's no way we can truly be happy. Don't underestimate this renewed nature that God gives to us when we become born-again Christians. What we were not able to do previously, now we are able to do. Previously, we are bound to the chains of sin, but now we are set free. We are able to worship God and pursue peace, holiness, and righteousness. To use another analogy, the new birth is necessary to put us back on the way of salvation. So Adam and Eve previously was on this way of growing in holiness, communion with God, but because of sin, they fell out of this path. But now what God has done through Christ Jesus is to put us back onto this path of the salvation, the way of salvation. So Wesley calls the new birth the gate or the entrance to sanctification, to holiness. Again, he uses the, baby, the analogy of a baby. A baby is born in the moment or at least in a very short amount of time. I mean, some mothers go through a very long labor process, 12, 18 hours. But compared to one's entire lifespan, the birth process is really relatively short, right? So John Wesley uses this analogy. A baby is born in a moment, but it takes time to gradually grow and before it becomes an adult. In the same way, we are born again in the spirit in a moment. God gives us new birth in a moment spiritually. But it takes our lifetime to gradually and slowly to grow to become holy. Once again, bearing the moral image of God full of love and righteousness. So the new birth is absolutely necessary to begin a whole new life of holiness in Christ. Do you understand? Without the new birth, let me put it simply to you, we can never be holy. Without the new birth, all our efforts to be holy will surely fail. But with the new birth, it will definitely help us to grow in holiness. Today's sermon is a bit technical, and so I have intentionally kept it short. And here is the summary. Wow, so short, Pastor Anthony, for the first time. Yes, it's true. It's because it's technical, but it's very important. And so I don't want to give us too much information, and we lose the point. The new birth, to summarize, is the invisible work of the Holy Spirit. It is not something that you and I can control. It is the Holy Spirit's work in us. 
At the same time, even though it's the invisible work of the Holy Spirit, there is a change. A change that you and others around you should be able to feel the effects. Thirdly, the new birth is absolutely necessary for true salvation, for true happiness, and true holiness. Without this new birth, none of us can truly be happy or holy and be saved. So three questions for reflection. Number one, do you have the assurance of salvation? Do you have this peace in your heart that truly you are saved, that you are a child of God? John Wesley, when he started his ministry, he was already a pastor, but yet he lacked this assurance of salvation until one day, and as Methodists, we hear this story over and over again every year on Aldersgate Sunday, we'll preach about John Wesley's heartwarming experience. He went to Aldersgate Street, and as the book of Romans, the preface, the commentary of the book of Romans was being read, he felt his heart strangely warm. And as he felt his heart strangely warm, he had this assurance of salvation. He wrote in his journal, I felt I did trust in Christ. Previously, somehow he didn't have the assurance, but finally he said, I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. So do you have this assurance of salvation? Yes, I know that I am born again. Second question to reflect. Are you truly happy in the Lord? Do you have this deep satisfaction and contentment in the Lord which is independent of circumstances in your lives? Pastor Melvin preached on this sermon last week. How is it possible to always rejoice? What is this understanding, you know, this biblical understanding of joy? Are we joyful in the Lord? Do we have our conscience clear and clean and we live as forgiven people of God. Number three, do you desire for, and more importantly, are you growing in holiness? Not talking about outward deeds, you know. How many hours you pray, how many hours you go to church, how many hours you serve, none of that at all. Do you have the moral image of God stamped upon your heart? Are you living a life full of love and righteousness and holiness? That is what it means to be truly like God. Do you desire for these things and are you growing in it? Or are you still clinging on to your sins? If your answer to all these questions is no, listen to this wonderful invitation by John Wesley at the end of his sermon. And I pray that this will be your prayer. As I look at this prayer that John Wesley wrote, I realize many of our modern day Christian invitations to be saved actually is very shallow. We just tell people, you just come to believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, that's it. That's not what it means at all to be saved. To be saved is to put, be put back on this path of holiness. And that's what John Wesley emphasized. Look at this prayer. Look at the desperation of the prayer. Lord, add these to all your blessings. Let me be born again. Deny whatever you please, but deny not this. Let me be born again from above. Take away whatsoever seems good to you. Reputation, fortune, friends, health. Take away all these things. Only give me this. To be born of the Spirit. To be received among the children of God. John Wesley understood that it's far most important to be saved. Beyond all these earthly things that God has blessed us with. We can have all these things as Jesus says. So what if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? That is foolishness. 
So John Wesley understood it. Let us be born again is the most important cry of our hearts. Let me be born not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God which lives and abides forever. John Wesley understood that this birth is the work of the, God, of the Holy Spirit in our hearts by the word of God which I'm preaching to you. And then he says, Then let me daily grow in grace. So it's not just once off. The new birth is only the start of the process. Let me daily grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In a short while, I'm going to give you an invitation. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I can't see those of you in the sanctuary either. But God knows our hearts. If you have answered no to the three questions I asked earlier, do you have the assurance of salvation? You say, no, I don't have. I feel like I'm always a sinner. Number two, are you truly happy in the Lord? You say, no, because I still feel you know, all this unhappiness, unholy tempers in my heart. And number three, you know you're not growing in holiness at all. If your answer is no to all these three questions, then I pray that you will pray this prayer. Let's show the prayer again. And we'll close this time with this prayer. I will lead us in saying this prayer, but if it's your heart's desire to say this prayer, you just pray along as I pray this prayer. Let us pray. Let's close our eyes. Lord, add this to all your blessings. Let me be born again. Deny whatever you please, but deny not this. Let me be born again from above. Take away whatsoever seems good to you. Reputation, fortune, friends, health. Only give me this, to be born of the Spirit, to be received among the children of God. Let me be born not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then let me daily grow in grace, in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. For those of you who pray this prayer, may God answer this deep prayer of your heart. I can feel God's Spirit and presence even as I was praying this prayer. I know some of you probably have your own heartwarming experience that you know that God has answered this prayer of your heart. And I pray that you will truly uh, experience this new birth and grow then in holiness. Amen.